Welcome to Speaking of Strong Style, where we discuss the news, events, and issues surrounding New Japan Pro Wrestling. I am Stephen Conway. With me, as always, Jeremy Feinstone. And we are approaching the end of the G1 Climax Tournament block play. And uh, what we saw this week, Jeremy, four shows. We're going to talk about them in detail. In general, though, what we saw was a very clever set of booking decisions from New Japan Booker Ghetto that has a lot of people still in contention coming down to the very last day of block matches. So when this week began, you started to see some patterns emerging. It's okay, I think this guy might be coming back to the pack. Some guys rallied to get involved, including one I did not expect. We'll talk about that. And in the end, some strategic losses that keep as many people eligible for this as possible going into a, a quarterfinals, semifinals, finals, eight people moving on. And uh, looking at this, it really reminds you how intricately booked this tournament is. Everything has to just go exactly right. And uh, Ghetto seems to have some uh, pretty intriguing finishes going on in each of these blocks. Jeremy, what are you thinking so far? Hi, Steven. How are you? <laughs> Came in hot with the G1 analysis right out the gate. We got a lot to cover. Uh, I'm feeling my I'm feeling my oats today. There's just been a lot are. of shows you, in a short period. You came in time. hot and ready for some G1 talk. It seems like you've been ready to chop it at the bit. No news and info and all things New I'll, Japan. I'll, we go right to it. <laughs> I'm going to pull back the curtain just a tiny bit. Uh, Jeremy and I, in order to try to keep the show fresh, rarely actually talk about this stuff before. Like we, we'll shut our we will shut each other down if there's like, did you see? Let's talk about yeah, it. And uh, <laughs> we actually sat and talked for a while before we went on today. And uh, I I just decided to just go right into the G one because we already did our house of goings. But <laughs> I should have done it on the air. You're right. So sorry about that. Are you all right? How you doing? I'm I'm doing excellent, Stephen, and uh, I hope you are doing well as well. And, <laughs> To answer your question, uh, there have been some criticisms about the quality of the wrestling in the G1 and, and maybe some surprise finishes here or there. But I feel personally like I've gotten exactly what was advertised to me and what this G1 was going to be and what performances we've got. I don't typically have any issues whatsoever. Some of the decisions have surprised. But if you look at these layouts that we have for one more match in each bracket – we can pretty much figure out that what we were tracking before this, uh, this tournament ever started, we're going to hit some pretty much bull guys at all the brackets. And uh, we'll explain why we got to those decisions when we get there. All right. So I mean, should we just go right into these shows? I mean, they, let's they, talk about that first work. night. We began the week. Uh, it was in midweek here, but we do the shows here on Wednesday. And, uh, and we go to the uh, 27th of July. It was a Thursday. It was in the Oda Ward Gymnasium in Tokyo. And this was a good show overall. I'm going to say this, Jeremy. Again, we talked about how this tournament not necessarily hitting on every cylinder. Uh, this crowd was 2,316, 800 people fewer than showed up for the Super Junior Finals. A couple of caveats. That was the finals of a tournament. It was also on a weekend. This was a weeknight. I understand all that. G1 Climax, 800 fewer than the Super Juniors. This is not, good. Know, that, not, not so good. There's so no good. way to explain that and find an upside or a justification. Your yeah. explanation last week is like, you could give you any excuse in the in the world. If they didn't show, they didn't show. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they're just booking some stuff that not everybody's totally into. But 
in the end, though, this was a decent show. So let's get right into it. The first one was Shota Umino and Chase Owens. Now, this one was nine minutes and 35 seconds. It was a good crisp match uh, between the two, but not particularly consequential. Shota needed the win in order to stay in it. Chase isn't going to be uh, in it long term, so he did the job right here. He got out of a package pile driver, Shota hit the death rider, and uh, got the two points he needed to stay in contention with the other Reiwa, Three Musketeers, and Sonata, and Kiyomiya, and you got to... We know that Sonata, well, we're going to talk about him in a minute. He's in danger of running the table right here. Everybody else sort of playing for second. And uh, it's important that he got this win to stay at it. So this was interesting. Uh, before the tournament ever started, I talked about Sonata having a dominant run in that bracket and that we needed to circle Chase Owens and Sonata for the end of the tournament because there was a likelihood that there could be some consequences that have nothing to do with the bracket, but have more to do with Sonata having a perfect bracket, which ends up being the case. The story behind this match, Chase Owens was saving himself and making a business decision to tap out early within 10, or to lose the match early. He just, he wasn't giving it his best effort because he's saving everything for Sonata. And he walked to get his title shot against Sonata after beating him in the G1. That's the story. So I like the logic behind it. We are getting into mental mind games with a lot of the uh, wrestlers and the strategies they have going into the final bracket if they have any shot or no shot at all. And so that's going to be a that could be a running theme through all the matches that we go through tonight is a business decisions or what they do in order to get to a good place for their final match in the bracket. It's a clever way of doing it also, and it does make some sense. Chase mathematically eliminated from moving on in the tournament, so the only thing he has left is to throw everything he has at Sonata, the world heavyweight champion, and you pin the champion, you get a title shot, even if you don't advance in the G1, right? So, you know, from, from that perspective, I can see why Chase would make that decision or why you would, you know, portray it that way. So, yeah, uh, that, that works. And the second match was between two men who have had a really – Good G1, Taichi and Yoshihashi. This one went 13-13, and this match delivered as well. This one was really good. A lot of chops. It was a striking battle, but they're both very good at those things. And uh, it was just a good, strong-style pro wrestling match. Big moves, fighting in and out of each other's finishers. That sort of New Japan playbook that we love so much. And in the end, Taichi got the win. Same situation as in match one, really. Taichi needed the win to stay in it. Yeah, I... These are two guys that when the tournament started and when the tournament is over are not going to necessarily be getting their flowers in terms of performances. But Taichi had heck of a performance against Osprey, heck of a performance against Okada. Yoshihashi has shown up a number of times in this tournament. And uh, this isn't going to be one that either one of them are going to be remembered for, but this was actually a really good match. Gabriel Kidd took on Kato Kiyomiya in the next one, and this one had a bit of a surprise finish, I'll admit that. Uh, this Hot. one had he heel heat, right, from the jump start, and of course, it's Gabriel Kidd, so there was a jump start. He attacked Kiyomiya in the aisle. Uh, they uh, beat Kiyomiya down around the arena, including a chair shot to the head, which was done very cleverly with those uh, soft cushions instead of a, a real wicked... Uh, metal chair thankfully uh, we don't need too many chair shots to the head to begin with but if you're going to do it do it with a little uh, cardboard and foam deal uh they uh went back into the ring the ref counted which was absolutely laughable so he had beaten him all around ringside hit him over the head with a chair threw him in the ring covered him immediately and the ref was like yeah okay might be a three count uh <clears throat> 
there was a lot of that in this tournament. A little too much fighting in the crowd for me. Once a, once a night, maybe. Maybe not three times. Uh, anyway, That's this fair. one was almost all Kiyomiya selling for the first 10 minutes. Kiyomiya or kid eventually spit in Kiyomiya's face, and Kiyomiya went Kevin Owens on him. This new he version of the thermal. Kevin Owens character, where he went nuts. Lost his temper. They go fighting back out of the ring, and this had some steam on it. I, mean, the, <laughs> I don't know if uh, Kiyomiya was expecting the spit probably was to be fair and they just played it up really well because his fight with Okada fooled some people into thinking that it was actually real uh, but Kiyomiya's not bad at this is he? these little fights that look like things may have broken down and uh, anyway they lost themselves in, in their anger toward one another uh, the, the sound and the fury got themselves uh, counted out uh, And uh, but this, this looked like a good fight in the outside once that happened there was a part of me that thought this is fucking bullshit like really we're doing a count out draw with you two but but they sold me on it that's the yeah. thing it's like it went and it went and it it felt like a mean guy fight it felt like these two people like something went wrong in this match and i don't know if kiyomiya is just really good at like the shoot fake shoot stuff because he seems to you know draw his reputation going into new japan with that uh kind of veil that curtain of of that with Okada and, and Kimia. But honestly, a lot of people are looking forward to that Kaido Kimia Okada match that you're gonna have eventually. And I don't think we're gonna get it here. I think the idea of Kiyomiya is putting him in the <clears throat> New Japan ecosphere and just letting people know where he stands among the crowd. Like he's above this guy, he's not quite at this guy. By the time that we're done with the G1, I think Kiyomiya will be firmly established as someone that is upper mid-card when he enters the fray uh, at New Japan. And I did not expect to come out of this tournament thinking, I'd really like to see Gabriel Kidd and Kiyomiya again, but I do. <laughs> I'll, I'll watch that match again. Uh, Tangaloa he faced might be the guy. Gabe Kidd might be the guy that we talked about early on. It's like, who's going to be the guy that we're talking about when all is said and done? Like, that <laughs> really just had a standout g1 it's not over yet there are other other people that you can consider but his name is in the conversation for that kind of like standout performance kind of thing tangaloa defeated the great okan in the next match uh, a lot of knee work on tangaloa like you would expect that's always going to be a factor here uh with one exception that we'll talk about a little later in the show uh but against the run of play as they say in uh soccer or footballs so they call it outside of the united states when one team is dominating the other, but the other one sneaks in a goal suddenly uh, in a counterattack or uh, a mistake, a sudden mistake there. But uh, what we saw was Great Okan dominating this match. Tangaloa uh, just uh, managed to get an ape shit in on him when Okan charged him for a three. And it was the start of what ended up being a big week for Tangaloa. Uh, and again, the kind of an evening up of the scores. We are in the evening out phase and you can kind of if if you correctly guess earlier in the g1 who was going to win and who was going to lose this is the time where the kind of the the pendulum swings back and so tangaloa great okan yoshihashi taichi all those guys in the middle the, the giant middle of the g1 are all trading wins and losses right now and that's where we're at Tagaloa won his first match, but then lost three in a row before this one. So uh, there you go. And <clears throat> the next one, speaking of people having big weeks, Hikaleo and Yoda Suji. This one went 12-12. We had a 13-13 earlier. This one 
if you're a numerologist, you're freaking out. Uh, Suji hit a Teharis from the apron to the floor. So he got a little bit of a Lucha Libre thing in there. And Hikaleo hit his neck on the guardrail and really started selling his neck. Uh, after 10 minutes, there was a power slam attempt by Hikaleo that was stopped with a knee. That looked really good. Uh, Suji began chopping down the tree, so to speak, with a lot of leg work and body blows for the much taller man. Uh, Spear was countered into a big boot, and then uh, Hikaleo hit the power slam and the choke slam for the win. And that was two wins in a row uh, for Hikaleo after beating Ren Narita. He had a slow start to the tournament, began coming on strong. This was the next step. Not much to add to it. I think both guys look good. I think Hikaleo is looking better and better as the tournament goes on. I think he's, he's definitely a guy that seems more motivated when he's going to win the match. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Maybe that's fair. Uh, El Fantasmo and Kenta. Now, let's talk about this one because the ELP moment of the night was Kenta wasting time outside the ring. Wouldn't get in the ring to start the match. So ELP just hopped up to the top rope and leaped into the aisle and clobbered him right there. So from the top rope into the aisle, just a big dive right there. They fought in the bleachers, they fought in the crowd. Kenta ended up getting the better of it. DDT Del Fantasmo in the bleachers there at the Oda Ward Gymnasium, ELP all bloody. Uh, we got kendo sticks. Uh, still haven't gotten to the ring at this point. We're about 10 minutes into this fight. ELP managed to get the kendo stick, but he ended up taking a DDT on the outside table. He was thrown in, and they just immediately rang the bell. It's just so stupid. <laughs> they have these 10-minute <laughs> fights, up, and the referees are like, oh, they're back in the ring. We can start the match now when one guy's been murdered with about 15 illegal things. But, uh, you know, New Japan, not good at this. And uh, Kenta ended up, but as soon as the bell rang, as soon as the bell rang, this is the point, as soon as the bell finally did ring, Kenta went for the GTS, but El Fantasmo turned it into an inside cradle for the win in 19 seconds. So technically a 19-second victory, but it went about 10 minutes. This was weird. Uh, you know, but again, uh, boy, the Oda Ward Gymnasium got, if you were in that building, you got an up close and personal look at one of the wrestlers because it seemed like half the matches spent half their time out there with you. It reminded me of a, remember that Hiroshi Tanahashi Kushida match where they ended up going out into a field during the best of the super juniors oh, and, and it just like, you're just, what is happening here? This was pure bullshit. And yeah. You could, and I, I do not, I'm not going to argue with anyone that was enjoying this pure bullshit because I was with those people. I was enjoying this pure bullshit because I just kind of like, it didn't feel like they were going to get the blow off for ELP and Kenta right here. The way that they have just kind of left any Bullet Club drama off the table with Finley and Evil and a couple of the other scenarios is like, I made my peace with the fact that the G1 is not the forum for development with former, current, any kind of bullet club. And so we got a bullshit 19 second match. <laughs> ELP got the upper hand over Kento, which he should have gotten at some point. That'll perpetuate the feud. Maybe they can fight for the Defy title uh, in Portland. That would probably make a lot of people really happy. But yeah, I don't. Right finish, weird match. Up next was Sonata and Ren Narita. Now, this was another one where the story is that Sonata is trying to run the table on the G1, and he uh, took another step right here. This was a pretty good match. Uh, Sonata attempted a moonsault, but Narita got the knees up at around the 15-minute mark, and then they just started working to the deadfall 
And he hit a pretty good-looking deadfall for the win right here. It was solid. It was well-worked, nothing crazy, nothing great. Uh, with this one, though, uh, after only five matches, uh, Sonata was 5-0 and and clinched the spot in the quarterfinals already with two matches to go. And Narita, two draws, four losses, still without a victory in the G1 tournament. Our boy strong style ain't so strong right now, and it kind of hurts my heart. <laughs> And then we have the main event, Will Ospreay versus Kazuchika Okada. And if you want to know my thoughts on whether the G1 is over or not, one of the biggest matches in pro wrestling drew 800 fewer than Teton and Master Wato. So with that in mind, uh, this match was terrific, <laughs> you know, because these two are going to deliver. But it was worked a little bit like a sprint, high energy early. They wrestled the match in a very logical way, which is they worked the match like they knew Usually we go a long time and we don't have a long time, 20 minute time limit. So both of them wrestled like they were pressing. So that was it. So not the usual working holds and things early or taking things slow. This was a sprint. And uh, later on, there was a, one of my favorite spots. We always have the Okada dropkick, right? We can't have a, a, a match without it. It would be, look, be strange not to get to see it. It's, it's still great. And he hit it on an os cutter attempt. That was when he did it, instead of the usual whip into the ropes type of thing or a reversal into the ropes. Uh, Will Ospreay hit a hidden blade at the 16-minute mark. Okada rolled out of a Stormbreaker for two. He got that roll-up that he does where he's won some key matches with, so that was a nice little false finish test. And Okada hit a landslide, but Will ducked the Rainmaker. Then he hit a ripcord hidden blade, and then Stormbreaker. And he finally, for the first time, Will Ospreay defeated Kazushika Okada without help. The key being his other singles victory, also in the G1, but it was with the great Okan coming out and interfering in the match and helping him beat Kazuchika Okada back when Will turned heel, left chaos, created United Empire, the whole deal. So this is Will's first victory over Okada since then and did it without help. 17 minutes, 21 seconds, uh, terrific match. And again, it's another one that uh, evened things up a little bit as Osprey and Okada, the two front runners for this block. And a uh, Great match. Which more people have been there to see it? It never occurred to me that Will would win this match. Oh. Did it? Did what were your thoughts going into it? Like I thought it would either be a draw, but I got a little worried after I thought about the backstage comments where Will was talking and he was like, "I can't beat him in twenty minutes." So he's basically like mm. hinting at a draw or a loss. And so you should have seen it coming. I didn't see it coming. I think it was kind of a brilliant strategy to just like put Will on top as like a top, top baby face. Uh, I don't know how far they're going to go with it or what their plans are moving forward, but Okada has now lost to Brian Danielson and Will Ospreay in the course of a month together it's possible he could lose to anybody at this point. Well, those are two of the best wrestlers on earth. They are. I get too carried away with that. But they the, are. The, but I, I did not think Okada he was, was untouchable for nine months. Well, yeah, but I mean, you're not. You're never untouchable in the G1 unless you're telling the Sonata story, and I don't think he's going to win the tournament anyway. But the the whole thing with Okada is, I did not think he was going to win. Uh, you could have talked me into the draw a little bit, but if here's my point on that: if Okada had won, he was four and zero going in. He would have been on ten points. If he had won, gone five and zero, oh, ten points. Osprey would have been stuck on six with two matches to go, 
and would have lost the tiebreaker to Okada. There's very little drama in that. Yeah. So I thought that maybe they would hold to a draw and then somebody would upend Okada and Will would win. And, you know, there would be a final day where they're on odd numbers and all that kind of stuff. And now they just decided to go with the victory there and, and tighten it up. So at that point, they left the ring uh, eight points for each. And uh, that was just a way to. And Will think, has the tiebreaker. We'll keep that in mind. Yeah. And Taichi has a tiebreaker on Will. And uh, what is it? Okada has a tiebreaker on Taichi. So the potential for that round robin of tiebreakers again. Uh, we'll see if this. that comes into play. I had a wild hair up my butt at some point that if Tangaloa beat Okada, that we could theoretically get a uh, never openweight Hickman match out of the. Tongans and those. I don't think that's happening now. The math doesn't really work out for uh, Tongaloa to get back to back wins at the end of the G1, but it was a nice thought while it lasted. We move on to day 10, which was in uh, uh, Nagoya, Nagoya in uh, Aichi Prefectural Gymnasium. I almost said it was in Aichi, and it was, but that's not specific enough. The Aichi Prefectural Gymnasium. It's like saying a match is in Texas. Okay. You want to narrow down a little, Stephen? Yes, in Nagoya. Yeah. And uh, 2,190 uh, w- showed up for the New Japan Cup earlier this year. This one, 3,545. So at least one Ooh. town's doing better uh, here. They were excited about that. Maybe they thought they were getting Will Ospreay and Kakachiko Okada. <laughs> uh, they did not. But they uh, they got a pretty decent match at the end, didn't they? Yeah, that was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, hmm, interesting. Uh, we'll get into that. This is a, this match, this <laughs> card, this card is a good example of my issue with this tournament and that it is a diluted field. There are good matches. Middle heavy. Good matches, well wrestled, but there really weren't any matchups on this show. Where you're like, I gotta see this one. You know, there there isn't that two two big time superstars who rarely lose facing off. Every match in here had somebody who could lose. You know, and, and probably would. And uh, there were some upsets. You know, no doubt. But was there a match in this one where, like, man, I gotta see that one? There really wasn't. I'm glad the attendance did well. I'm glad people turned up. But uh, this this was a good example of why the diluted field takes a little bit of the edge off of this one. It began with David Finlay Jr. and Hanare. Uh, Finlay worked the neck for Oblivion, uh, of course. That makes sense. Uh, Hanare rallied and hit the rampage, but Finlay managed to reverse a follow-up move into the Oblivion and got the pin. Of course, you got to keep Finlay in this. Hanare's already mathematically eliminated, so this one kind of had its uh, predetermined. And he kind of knew that Finlay probably wasn't going to lose in the first match on the card. The the, the, the uh, perfect encapsulation of a plug-and-play match. You take a Hanari match from the G1 <laughs> tournament, and you take a Finlay match from the G1 tournament, and you put them together, and you put and their styles, and it is exactly what you would expect. If you've seen any of their matches, you can imagine what this one was. Next, we saw somebody who took off like a rocket in this tournament, won his first four matches. Now it's time to kind of reel him back in, bring him back to the field a little bit. Toru Yano defeated Jeff Cobb. Poor Jeff lost on his day off. Uh, this was a pretty easy match to work right here, but uh, that was the usual Yano shenanigans. He ended up taking spray bottle in the eyes, which is allegedly hand sanitizer. So that would burn pretty bad. I would oh, think. I thought, it, I thought, okay. 
Yeah, there's my wife actually while. asked me what it was today when she was watching the Shane Hayes match with me. And uh I apologize if that was the one that she stumbled on, but I, we'll get yeah. to that story later. <laughs> the uh yeah, so that's allegedly hand sanitizer that he took right there, and he rolled up Cobb for a win in a minute forty nine. So Cobb got a day off, he did the job right there, and of course that's to build drama as we head toward the end of the block play. Next. Eddie Kingston and Mikey Nichols. This one was fine. Not a lot to this one at first. Uh, striking battle. A lot of uh, a lot of hitting each other hard, uh, and it was fine. Eddie ended up getting a Saito suplex, an exploder, and a back fist. Uh, keeps Eddie Kingston alive as he wins, beats Mikey Nichols. And again, you know, nothing wrong with this match, Jeremy, but I don't buy too many tickets to wrestling shows thinking, oh, Eddie Kingston and Mikey Nichols. In the best way that I can put this. And I don't know if it's going to come off well, but I mean it in the best way. Mikey Nichols is the ultimate tryhard in this G1 tournament. He has worked incredibly hard, yeah. and I'm not sure he's going to get any flowers or any real recognition for it. But the dude has put his body through the ringer for it. And I was just like, okay, dude, you do you. And this is just more of it. <laughs> what is it with flowers these days? I don't understand that the whole thing. Why does everybody have to get flowers? Who wants flowers? I'd rather get my envelope. <laughs> yeah don't you get flowers for winning the g1 too maybe back in the day i don't remember any flowers i remember, I remember kota bushi holding flowers one time yeah kota might have held flowers maybe he held flowers i thought it was the flag thingy we'll find out soon uh up next was tetsuya naito and alex coglin another one right i mean that again who's who's dying for this one but a lot of stalling uh, for mind games on this one, Trying uh, Naito trying to get Coughlin to lose his temper. Uh, it turned into a good match, but it was an inevitable Destino finish here. I mean, there's, you know, Naito has done his shocking upset. I don't think he's going to do another one to Coughlin because it would have taken him virtually out of the running here, so we can't have that. Ten minutes, seven seconds. I I think that they were still going for that, oh, he just lost to Shane Haft. He could lose to Alex Coughlin here. You 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 yeah. introduced the possibility, and that was basically the psychology of the match. Was could could Naito lose two in a row and and lose it now? Of course he didn't, but that is the driving psychology through the entire match. Evil and Tomohiro Ishii were next, and this was an evil match. You know, it was the same old, same. This old. was the same Tomohiro Ishii evil match that you'll always see. Yeah, yeah, that's very well put. That's very well put. They hit each other for a while. There's a ref bump. Dick Togo interferes. The only question is who ends up getting the best of it in the end. And I'm not. Headbutt, nut shots at the end. Maybe a Garrett. Who knows? Sometimes a brain time, buster. Sometimes and everything is evil. This time it was evil. And again, they're doing a round robin of tiebreakers on top in this block as well. So uh, poor Ishii, uh, results-wise, having a rough tournament, although most of his matches have been pretty good. I think he's going to be looking strong at the back end of this thing. I think he'll yeah. he'll have a healthy amount of wins uh, to round out pat that will be completely inconsequential. He'll get some pat on the back stuff there, yeah. yeah. And then uh, we had uh, Zack Sabre Jr. and Shane Hayes. Now, this one had a little intrigue in that they're both members of TMDK. And uh, this is a very good technical match. Uh, Haste went for that same bomb. I don't know the name of it. That huge bomb that he hit uh, Naito with. Uh, almost, it's, it's almost like it comes out of a razor's edge type of position. It was a, it's a big move, and uh, he's a big guy. So he he went for that bomb that beat Naito, but Zach tied him up, uh, and uh, and, to, and got a pin off in one of uh, Zach's little uh, octopus roll ups, and uh, got the win there. Zach uh, surviving thirteen minutes twenty three seconds. Pretty good. I love now in reflection 
that having Shane Hecht and Zach Saber Jr. in the same stable is helping catapult Zach to win because not only is Zach winning, but Shane Hecht is defeating all of the threats to mm. uh, Zach Saber Jr.'s attempt to win the bracket. And I think that's going to be a big deal at the very end with Jeff Cobb. I don't know if Shane Hayes can beat Jeff Cobb, but I think Shane Hayes can outlast 20 minutes with Jeff Cobb. It's an interesting point. And the only other faction that's playing like a team is House of Torture, really. <laughs> it's funny that, you know, they, they interfere in each other's matches, of course, in their heels. But it, it, TMDK has been helping each other not with match interference, but in the way that you just mentioned. And then we are going to see a little bit of outside help when necessary a little bit later on. We'll talk about it. But uh, yeah, TMDK, a pretty solid unit right there. And I'm enjoying their work for the most part. So this one went uh, to the uh, semi-main event, Shingo Takagi and Tama Tonga. This was another good match, but I can't say it was anything super special. It was well done. And again, it became a New Japan Strong style, big move attempt, uh, and getting in and out of each other's finishers toward the end, but uh, no one got one. And this one went to a time limit draw, one point each. And uh, that really handicapped Shingo a little bit. That You know, after a, a couple of losses early and things, uh, I did not expect a draw right here, but we got one. And everybody's still in it, but it really put them in uh, a lot of jeopardy. Those were two points, uh, or that was one point for each. But uh, for two guys who could really could have used two points, uh, if uh, you know they were uh, to stay toward the top of the standing, so Shingo and Tama, time limit draw. I think I know the scenario and why they went to a time limit draw, and I'll explain mm-hmm. it when we get to the layout for the last week of matches. But uh, I had Shingo winning this, and yeah, when they went to do. a draw, it made a lot of sense to me because they're both upper mid card baby faces. And neither one of them is benefited whatsoever by a loss in this. And mathematically, it also works out for them to, you know, do that for the drama and the standing. It made a lot of sense, but until you get to this point, it's very hard to predict, you know, a draw between Tamatonga and Shingo Takagi on night 10 of the G1 <laughs> Climax Tournament. <laughs> Yeah, and I think we're starting to see where Shingo's headed for the rest of the year here. So, uh, but uh, we'll get to all that. But yeah, this was a setup for that, and it's another example of Ghetto playing chess while others, other bookers play checkers. The main event on this one was w- a match that would have been so friggin' great five years ago. <laughs> it was Hiroshi Tanahashi and Hiroki Goto. This was still pretty good. This was a considering the limitations of both guys now as far as age and health and. Uh, some injuries uh, four, four or five years ago. This match is a lot better, but this is a good version of what they're capable of today. How about that? Tanahashi worked the ribs, of course, and Goto is playing this like he has injured ribs. I think the injury is something else, though, that they're just trying to keep away from him and distracting us with the ribs because, boy, he takes a lot of bumps if he actually had bad ribs. Uh, anyway, he missed the high fly flow. Goto hit an Ushikiroshi, but they were too beat up to cover uh, GTW for two. Then he tried to show Tenkai, which is one of my favorite moves in wrestling. He doesn't do it very often, but it failed. Uh, Aces high, high fly flow, win for Hiroshi Tanahashi. Got to play air guitar afterwards. So a feel good moment for the crowd who uh, showed up there in uh, pretty good numbers for uh, Nagoya. So they got to see their guy uh, win like old days. Hiroshi Tanahashi still a draw, right? 
Yeah, he kind of is. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's I think this is his only main event in the entire G1. And yeah, got so. a, you got the microphone. Uh, he looks so much better than he did in Toronto against those matches yes. with Swerve yeah. and MJF. Yeah. And so. there was a lot of dialogue, a lot of dialogue about whether this guy was going to look good and go or whatnot. And there's a number of things that we can chalk up to why he looks this good right now. Number one, all the people he's wrestling, thousand percent more familiar with wrestling him than Swerve and MJF were. And no disrespect to those guys. I wouldn't be shocked if they were just like, I respect the shit out of you, Tanahashi. Like, whatever you want to do, I will just follow your lead. Whatever. Paul Fontaine mentioned that the flight from Japan to Toronto probably did him no favors. So him being healthy, have time to heal, wrestling people he's familiar with. We're getting a good Tanahashi performance. And it's nice to see that he can still do a G1 tournament and perform to an acceptable level. We're not having a conversation about him not being able to go. I, I'm happy about that. That travel is not easy either direction, but having made that trip, I will say that coming back to the United States, coming back to North America from Japan is a lot worse than going out the other way. Just a lot for whatever reason, just a lot mm -hmm. worse. So uh, yeah, if he just got into Toronto, he's probably feeling pretty, uh, pretty wiped out. So he's just looking good. So fair play to Tanahashi. Great job in the G1 this year. Hmm. I mean, he's been pretty good. For the expectations that everyone had and what they were thinking he was going to look like, he's proven a lot of people wrong. Like a spade is a spade. There were a lot of people that were like, ooh, he's not going to be able to go. He's... There were a lot of naysayers. And I just, I think they were wrong. Time to head to Takamatsu on uh, Tuesday. That was uh, August 1st. Just a little bit of more evening things up, Jeremy. This was one where you could almost set your watch to the idea almost that if two guys went into a match and one guy had two points, the other guy had six, that he was going to come out with four and the guy was still going to be stuck on six. This is the people that were mathematically eliminated. We're starting to see the results reflect more of a, an evening out again, like you mentioned earlier, we're starting to see where they're giving these guys that did their early jobs, some wins. Some guys are, starting to fade going down the stretch and uh, the, that way the scores don't look too lopsided in any one direction at the end of this tournament. The first one though was a downright surprise here. Kato Kiyomiya and Hikaleo. There was a power slam and a choke slam after Kiyomiya had dodged it a few times. Nine minutes and 46 seconds. Hikaleo pins Kato Kiyomiya. Less than 10 minutes. Hikaleo was 0-3 at the beginning of the tournament, 3-0 since. Kiyomiya is stuck on six points here. And uh, I did not expect Hikaleo to be this much of a part of the final week. I expected him to certainly be involved and maybe have a match where somebody is playing a spoiler role. But he's flat out in this thing going into the final day and looking as strong as anybody in the block right now. So Hikaleo getting a little bit of a mini push here in the G1. I feel like they're booking him correctly where when he gets the momentum behind him to just crush you, he will crush you. It's just a matter of getting in the right scenario. Uh, he's done a couple power slams here and there where he just caught somebody. And I just cringed when he did that, that snap power slam from just grabbing the guy and going straight to the ground. It's like, Ooh, <laughs> it just hurts. Uh, I actually had him winning this against Kato Kiyomiya, not because I thought oh. Hikaleo was going to be dominant, but I felt like 
Kiyomiya losing before the final night raised the stakes as to whether he was going to make it into the final, into the post bracket play. Mission accomplished because that this block is a mess going into the final day. Oh, yeah. Anyone not named Sonata is in serious jeopardy here. It's it's very <laughs> interesting. It's been nicely done. By the way, 1,559 in attendance and uh, nothing really to compare to. It's the first time they've been to this building since the restrictions were lifted off of COVID. So uh, the crowd's definitely up from before, but they were also limited before. But uh, 1,559 in Takamatsu is not too bad. Uh, but uh, Great Okan and Yoshihashi was up next. This is the evening up thing I'm talking about. Okan had two points. Yoshihashi had four. There you go. Uh, it was a good match. Again, Yoshihashi just having a hell of a tournament. And uh, Kumagoroshi by Yoshihashi for two. But he charged and ran into a pop-up eliminator. First time we've seen this one. Where he popped up Yoshihashi almost like he was giving him a flapjack. And then grabbed the claw in midair and drove him down into that uh, eliminator slam. That looked good. It was a nice-looking finish right there. And uh, 13 minutes, 50 seconds, Great Okan getting a, uh, a win here to uh, salvage a little bit of pride. One of those matches that no one's really going to be talking about, but guys hit hard, uh, kind of doesn't matter how it plays out in the end, unless this leads to a tag match for Great Okan and Jeff Cobb down the line, which it possibly could. Uh, I just... Yoshihashi and Great Okan are, are firm members of the mid-card of the New Japan roster, and in a situation like this, I could count on them to deliver, and they did. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> Ren Narita and Chase Owens were up next. This one, uh, Owens was coming in on four points, Narita on only two, and they were both draws. Narita managed to fight out of a package pile driver and got his first win uh, on a submission. Uh, it was pretty good. Nothing special right there. Nine minutes and eight seconds. The one thing that is uh, of note, this is Ren Narita's first G1 career victory. As other two points coming on time limit draws with fellow uh, Riwa Three Musketeers member Shota Umino and Yoda Suji. So uh, a little bit of history here. Perhaps someday we'll look back and just say, hey, this is when Ren Narita got his first G1 win. I have a theory, and this may pay off in a couple of years. But because Ren Narita has not performed as well in this G1, that there will be years that he outperformed Yota Suji and Shota Umino. Like he leap he leaps past them in terms of mm. G1 performances just because he learns more from the losses than the other guys. I don't know. It seems like they are putting him behind the eight ball a little bit more than the other two on the three musketeers. And this tournament has done nothing to dissuade me from. Yeah, and I, I do think he's another guy similar to Ishii who might have a stronger finish than others in this one. So mm -hmm. there's a, there's a, there's some thoughts on that. But we'll go into it. And, uh, yeah, after that, uh, we were uh, going to – it was El Fantasma and Taichi. Yeah, Taichi yeah. and ELP. Uh, very similar to what we're talking about. ELP entered the match with four points. Taichi was six. This was back and forth. and Not bad once it got going. Uh, they kept reversing ghetto clutches on one another, and finally a ghetto clutch worked for El Fantasmo. 13 minutes and 56 seconds of a pretty darn good match, and both guys leave on six points. If you like character beats in your G1 matches, Taichi came out, and after I talked about him lip-syncing into the microphone, it actually <laughs> became a point of conversation between Kevin Kelly and ELP and Taichi. Fantasmo tried to use the microphone stand, it did not work. Taichi was unamused by all of this. <laughs> they then went and had their match. And when it was all over, the two shook hands. 
And El Fantasmo, uh, another one, just like Hikaleo, began his tournament 0-3 and then one has rattled off three victories in a row and gotten himself in the mix. So good for him. It's nice to see that. I, I Starting to look like he might have been one of the bottom dwellers early in. I wasn't sure he was going to make a, a run at the end, but he has. And I'm glad. He's talented enough. I think he can carry it. So good for him. It's a well-booked G1, I have to say. Up next, we had uh, IWGP World Heavyweight Champion Sonata and Gabriel Kidd. Guess who won this one? <laughs> yeah, so uh, again, we, we've talked about this story. Sonata threatening to run the table. Uh, this was another one where they didn't use the ring much for the first 10 minutes. Uh, the It got clunky. Sonata hit a pile driver on Gabe Kidd on the floor. Kidd didn't feel like it was necessary to really sell that all that much. So he basically popped right back up and attacked uh, uh, Sonata. Maybe a little bit of inexperience, a little green around the gills on Gabe Kidd. I know he's been in the business for years, but... Dude, he just piled drive down a concrete floor. You want to sell it for a little while anyway? Uh, no, no, not at all. Uh, they went back into the ring uh, after teasing Sonata. So again, this is where it went backwards. <laughs> Sonata pile drives Gabe Kidd on the floor, but it was Sonata who was almost counted out uh, because Kidd, I guess, what did he? Okay, he ran, so him, ran him into he the pile post drove him, this, and this then he tried good. to drag him back to the ring. Gabe yeah. Kidd recovers and throws Sonata through the uh through the uh the ringside uh barricades and as they're counting Sonata has to run and at 19 to 20 he makes yeah. it back to the ring after Gabe Kid already made it in. He kind of gave and him it, the 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 okie doke that the pile driver really hurt him on the bottom but it didn't. Uh, so uh, hmm. a, a kid and you know like kid once he threw Sonata into the barricade uh, he forgot all that he had just been pile driven. Just forgot it. Uh, blank on that. A anyway, to uh, an end, apparently. <laughs> Shining Wizard and a Deadfall. Fine. There it is. Sonata is still undefeated in the tournament. Uh, so, you know, the learning experience, maybe. I don't know. But not fine. so great. Sixth match. I do was, like I do like that they had the count out and that they teased the count out and then it played into the next match. It did that. Uh, so Will Ospreay and Tonga Loa were next. 15 minutes, 34 seconds. Decent match here. Osprey came in on eight points, Tangaloa with four. For the first time all tournament, someone didn't work Tangaloa's knee. He really didn't do it very much in this one, so maybe he should have, as it turns out. Uh, Tangaloa caught him when he, uh, this I liked. It, Will was just about to do a springboard os cutter outside the ring where he pops up on the barricade, but Tangaloa instead just grabbed him and launched him into the seats. And this was another example of uh, Will's leaping ability really but uh, they made it look like tonga just hurled him uh, over the entire ringside area over both barricades into the seats uh they were and then as they were working their way to the ring tagaloa sort of hid from will around the corner so when will managed to get himself toward the ring tagaloa launched himself at will caught him with a spear dove into the ring for a count out victory tagaloa with an upset win over osprey by count out and uh, again that result, when you look at it, Jeremy, keeps a hell of a lot of people alive who would have been eliminated if Will had gotten both points here. So another key strategic loss that builds drama for the B block going into the final day of block matches. It allows Will the credit of a win over Okada without winning the bracket, which I think is the entire point of the maneuver. 
And again, in a way, they didn't want to have Tongaloa pin Will. I think they're being very, very careful with Will's pinfall losses. Do you think that they will use this to springboard into a US, US uh, title challenge? Yeah, they might. I mean, you could always do that. I don't, I don't, I still think there's work to be done for Tongaloa to be considered a serious challenger, but yeah. He's I didn't think you got that level, but it could be a match to have. Yes. Yeah. It, it could be third from the top somewhere and be fine. And it'll probably be a really good match because it's Will, right? You know, so uh, up next, uh, Yoda Suji and Shota Umino. And now, Reiwa, three musketeers, right? We've had two mm. matches between the two of them. Suji I'm sorry about this one, my friend. <laughs> Suda had a time limit draw with Ren Narita. Ren Narita had a time limit draw with Shota Umino. And boy, they teased the living hell out of this one being a 20-minute draw here, but very cleverly done. Uh, Suji only three points at this stage of the tournament. Umino had six. So that was looking a little ominous for Shota based on the patterns we've been seeing on the, on the day. The crowd was into it early again. They like these two guys. And the first 15 minutes was just a good, solid wrestling match between the two. I, I was enjoying it. Forearm battle broke out at the 15-minute mark, and this got really good and really intense. It ended up in a double down where both guys are unable to uh, even raise to their feet right there. At uh, the 18-minute mark, there was a top rope Spanish fly by Yoda Suji that looked fabulous. Uh, again, Suji looks bigger than he is because he's in with a lot of smaller guys lately. But that's not a small man to be doing a top rope Spanish fly. And it looks and looks terrific. And he he doesn't look like a flyer. So whenever he does fly, it's just particularly impressive. And, uh, Umino ended up hitting the ignition, that big twisting neck breaker that he does out of the when he runs from the corner to the guy in the middle of the ring. Hit a package DDT for about 2.95 right there. That was a really good near fall. And uh, but he got up some momentum and ran flat into the Yorosuji spear. And in New Japan, they are portraying that spear like a kill shot to be avoided at all mm -hmm. costs. He ran into that spear and got beat 19 minutes and 20 seconds. So again, heavily teasing that time limit draw with all the time calls that come in at three minute mark, two minute mark, one minute mark. You got all those, but in the end, uh, Yoda Suji got a win over Shota Umino, which hadn't really happened very much because they were from slightly different generations of young lions and Shota was always a little further along than uh, Suji was. So important win for him here. And again, keeps a lot of people alive, keeps Umino from getting too far out ahead in the standings. Here's what I like about this. Beginning of the tournament, the three Musketeers draw with each other, right? Mm -hmm. But they don't draw with each other like I assumed when they meet up at the later on the match because their collective experiences and how beat up they are by the time they meet each other are disparate. They're different. Yoda Suji wasn't as beat up as Shota Umino, and it made all the difference in the world that he beat him because he's just in a little bit better shape. Uh I like that psychology. I don't know if that's my personal psychology, but it makes all the sense in the world to me. And it, it just leaves a, a muddled mess that we're going to talk about in a second in that A block right there. I mean, it really is chaos underneath Sonata, and it could go a lot of different ways. So uh, yeah, I got all the brackets ready. Once we get through all the matches, we'll talk yeah. all the we'll talk all the bracket layouts and where we're at. Yeah, but yeah. settle in for that one because Ooh. the A block's interesting. <laughs> so. Next up was Kazuchika Okada and Kenta. Jeremy, let's talk about this match here. Uh, Okada this comes was not Will Ospreay versus Kenta. <laughs> it was not. <laughs> Okada on eight points and a 4-0 start. Okay. Uh, and then, But he just took that first loss to Osprey. Kenta, uh, you know, is uh, – where was Kenta's uh, point total? It's not impressive here. Where is, he's on four. Pardon me. He's on four. 
a lot of time wasting early in this one. This and then once they did start wrestling, it was slow and it was not particularly heated and not particularly well worked. This wasn't a good match and it devolved into the usual bullet club shenanigans, ref bump. At least it was the only one of the night. And that was something that was happening a little bit too often too. Uh, anyway, he got a, a GTS uh, was uh, turned into a backslide uh, by Okada and then a landslide. He hit a landslide. He goes for the Rainmaker and Kenta stumbles on the Rainmaker attempt. So Okada, this was not planned. He just bobbled it. This was supposed to be the finish. So Kenta does the turnaround on the ripcord part. You know, he grabs the arm, does the rip, you know, pushes him off. Short arm clothesline is basically what the Rainmaker is. It's just portrayed as being this big uh, move. Uh, Jake Roberts uses it up to set up the DDT, for instance, if you want to go back to it, all the way back to shows you how old I am. But nevertheless, Kenta, as he is spinning around, <laughs> as he is spinning around, is unable to spin effectively and falls. And so Okada just swings at air. And uh, it looked awkward. It was awkward. So Okada had to pull him up, hit another landslide and another rainmaker. This time, Kenta was able to execute. If you can't have a good match with Kazuchika Okada, I, I'm going to renew my criticism of Kenta here because remember how I Damn said it, I'm going to try, I'm gonna try to give the guy, on board. <laughs> I'm going to try to give the guy a break. He's had a lot of injuries and he has. He's uh, a lot older than he was, you know, when people think of Kenta, you know, as I think of him as the ripped guy and all that and Hideo Itami and things. And boy, the dude had a bad match with Kazuchi Okada, man, that doesn't happen very often. It's 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 rough going for Kenta right now. He's he's just not not particularly coordinated. He's just not physically capable a lot. He's funny in his post match interviews, uh, but those tend to drag. So I'm not feeling Kenta these days. That's okay. The Kenta medley did not land for me as much either. And I'm going to call it the Kenta medley because he got a little bit of everything that Kenta does in all parts of his career in this match. So. Just a little taste, and it wasn't enough to really satisfy anybody. Uh, wasn't a great match. There's... I don't know what else to say. You know? <laughs> Let's move uh, on to the next one. Day 12. Uh, more evening up of the scores and more key strategic losses here. So we go to the other blocks. And this was in uh, Hiroshima. And Hiroshima, of course, uh, Tetsuya Naito's home away from home, as he's been adopted by the uh, Hiroshima Carp uh, baseball team. and. You know, this one had a good crowd. So we were up at 2006 uh, people. Uh, that's not a year. That's the, the attendance. And it's the best crowd in Hiroshima at the Sun Plaza since New Beginning in Hiroshima, which, to be fair, was a pay-per-view. But February 11th, 2021, was uh, they had 2007 people in here. Now, here's the caveat on that, Jeremy. I think you can figure out what it is. It's the biggest crowd since February 11th, 2021, which would be impressive except there were restrictions then and uh so you know again that was a pay-per-view and it was on a weekend and this was a weekday but still you, you wonder a little bit and by the way if you're curious as to what that main event was uh it was kota abushi defending the iwgp world title and intercontinental title against sonata that was the main event in that one back in uh, 2011 we'll it uh does not seem like i don't know at, at one point that seems further away than it is you know I, I know it's two and a half years it's two and a half years but that feels a lot further away 
2021 was the one where uh, Hanada and Abushi were finalists in the G1, right? I believe so. Uh, could have been 2020, but I think it was 2020. I'd have to look that one up. It was during that run, though. Yeah. 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 Anyway, th- I thought that was interesting. So, uh, you know, again, we'll see. But it, 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 2,000 people in, in Hiroshima is not bad. And since the pandemic, that's the biggest crowd in Hiroshima since the pandemic. So, there you go. Uh, that, uh, yeah. It, it, well, you know, these two match, these two shows were the biggest ones. I mean, uh, everything else has been in the 1,000s and things, including for other promotions. So, no one has been able to really pack it in. Uh, this this one started was a strong, strong start of the card. Well, you know, Alex Coughlin and Hiroshi Tanahashi. Uh, Coughlin on two, Tana on six. Seems like Tanahashi loses to someone he really shouldn't every year. Remember the Chase Owens thing where Owens beat him clean? Uh, this is it here. So Coughlin uh, rolled through an aces high uh, for a bridge, and that was a close call and a good man, a good uh, move there. Then he hit the jackhammer for a pretty decisive win. Like I said, there's almost always an upset special these days where – you're not surprised when Tanahashi loses to the very top guys anymore. Not at his age, not the way he moves. But uh, this one here, there's always someone that you're like, oh, geez, he beat Tanahashi. So, and they'll always have I wasn't that. Right? By this. Chase, o- no, me neither. But Chase Owens is still trading on the idea that, hey, I pinned Hiroshi Tanahashi. Well, Coughlin <laughs> can say it too. Uh, so, yeah, uh, eight minutes and 50 seconds as well. Quickie. Yeah, I, uh, I liked. Coughlin yelling at Bolton Oleg that he was a Shrek-looking MFer outside when he was You're yelling at people. Not I wrong. I, I, I thought that was kind of funny. He's, uh, a, he's a better-looking Shrek. I mean, Shrek was he supposed is to be... a better-looking Shrek. Yeah, I mean, uh, Shrek, a pro wrestler. Shrek was mo, uh, was uh, they. Well, he wasn't drawn, was he? He was a computer animation, but he was designed to look like the French Angel. Frank Morales. So I you mean, know the, the legacy well, of the French Angel. It was like he was a pro wrestler, though. Yeah. It was a, the legacy anyway, is ahead. all there. But anyway, uh, Coughlin, they're behind the War Dogs, so it didn't shock me that they would uh, expend some capital and have Hiroshi Tanahashi do the job for the new uh, heel faction. Yeah, and let's see. I, I want to make sure. That, no, Maurice Tillet, Stephen. You know, the French Angel was Frank Morel. That was a different guy with a gigantic head. I'm not How sure. could you, Stephen? I know. Maurice Tillet was the guy. That was the one. Oh, that, uh, they I'll was, uh, never let you live this down. I'm a little embarrassed. I can never go home again. So there you have it. Anyway, I wanted to get that right. That was going to drive me nuts. Maurice Tillette was uh, the... I'm going to win a trivia contest off of that someday. And I'm going to hit you up and tell you I won $500 because of a trivia contest. (laughs) And and, and I got to say, that's that's a bit of a burn. That's quite... That is... The more I look at it, the more that's a burn on poor Bolton Oleg right there. Because uh, he's much better looking than Maurice Tillette was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay, now, all right, enough of that frivolity. Where were we here? Speaking so, yeah, of the, deep cut, did Mikey Nichols cut himself during the next match? A little bit. Uh, yeah, and, and again, we're going into these things where we're where we're evening things up, right? Uh, almost anyone that went in with a higher point total than the other guy was in serious danger here, because uh, especially if you're mathematically eliminated or close to it. But here was one where evil is definitely in the mix. Mikey on only two points, and we had a strategic loss right here. But it was the same old stuff. It was a, not even remotely different, really, than the Ishii match. But here was one. Togo came in for the Magic Killer after the obligatory ref bump and all that stuff. So uh, Dick Togo's in there for the Magic Killer. But Kosei Fujita is out there with uh, Mikey Nichols, seconding his TMDK uh, fellow members. And he uh, fought off Dick Togo, and Mikey got the roll-up for the win. So someone was able to help out a little bit. So Mikey Nichols upsets Evil. 
and uh, keeps evil again from uh, moving too far out ahead in that block. Something very strange happened to me during this match. I found myself rooting for evil. <laughs> you, you, you have my attention. You were rooting for evil. I was rooting for evil. Like evil beat his ass. You know, this oh, guy's Lord. too big for his britches. He needs to cut him straight. Like yeah, he's he been he's been taking liberties this entire G one. He need he need to he need oh, to put it back know. in his place. I don't know if that's I don't know if that's fair. <laughs> oh no, I was just watching him like for whatever reason. I'm like, evil, I hope you win. And I don't ever say that. <laughs> no, I busting himself open with headbutts is a knuckleheaded move that neither one of us like very much. But uh, Nichols, to give you an idea, he won that match against Hanare, and I'm not even sure he was supposed to, but Hanare you know, took that fall on the very top of his head. Since then, though, he probably was supposed to win because since then he lost four in a row. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, Nichols was not a factor at all in this thing, but it is uh, an, a, something to upset the apple cart, the proverbial apple cart there. So, uh, now, TMDK as a whole had a fine performance. I have misgivings about Shane Haste cosplaying uh, Filthy Tom and Nick oh boy! The head bugs and that's all that has all gotten that's gotten more blatant as the tournament's gone on, hasn't it? I mean, it started I know, like, off I that way. It early on, I'm like, am I the only one? <laughs> no, but it's gotten more. It's like somebody dared him to do more. You know, like yeah. like don't, he's not even trying to be subtle about it. He's basically just doing an impression. So I I it, it ruffled at least my feathers, but there's nothing I can do about it. So do we uh, need to talk about this Toriano match with Shane Hayes? Uh, Toroyano won. Do we need Great. to go into Moving why on. he won? <laughs> oh, this is so badly done, folks. I, 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 here's my note. Shitty. That was what I wrote in my notebook. Shitty. My wife, it, getting Toriano ready for work. Stupid. My wife Ugh. was getting ready for work. I'm watching the match this morning. And I look at her like, I apologize while you're getting ready for the match because the match will be bullshit. There will be shenanigans, and you don't even can't even hear the sound. But you're gonna watch hat exchanges, and you're gonna watch uh, schoolboys and random stuff, and trash cans on heads. And where did they go? Oh yeah, sweetie, they're under the ring right now. They'll be out in a second. Uh, these were all the things that happened. It was just it was dumb. Sometimes I get bummed when my wife comes in and watches the embarrassing stuff on wrestling, yeah. but. She loves me, so we're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, this this sucked. Skip this one if you're uh, if you're uh, scoring at home or if you're alone. Up next, instead we have of Tomohiro wanting to bash your head in, these two guys bashed each other's head in on the next match. Henare and Tomohiro Ishii. Yeah, both guys entered this match on two points. Two points for Tomohiro. My God. Uh, the the lack of respect. No, he's 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 still at wrestling really good uh, matches. And there was an interesting thing on uh, Wrestling Observer Radio. I'm going to make sure I credit Brian Alvarez because he pegged something that uh, oh, he pegged something re regarding what's that the flare thing. Yeah, in that there is an Ishii match, and he kind of does a lot of the same stuff in each one, just like Flair had his signature bumps and some signature moves. Tomohiro Ishii has the same thing where you know exactly what you're going to get, except just like Flair, it's so good at it that you don't care that there are specific patterns to it. You know, you can watch Ishii do kind of the same thing in match after match and never get tired of it. He's exactly right. Just like Flair matches all have their little uh, notes and things that things that are going to happen that he's going to hit, but Everything else is, is well, first of all, those things are usually pretty good and well-timed and done just when he needs to. 
this is Flair in his prime, of course. And we're seeing Ishii at that moment where he just knows exactly what to do, when to do it. And yes, you've seen a lot of the elements before, but he always puts it together in an interesting way. This is another really good match, 14-21. And uh, Streets of Rage finish for Hanare, who gets his first singles victory over Ishii. And uh, it was terrific. I enjoy the hell out of it. They had they had a match that 100% over-delivered. I had a great time watching it. Again, the headbutts were prevalent. I don't like it. Yeah. But I think a she is much more controlled and manageable on those and is probably able to uh, mitigate those with Hinari a little bit more. I will say, I uh, stumbled on Twitter. I think the Twitter handle was Drain Bramager, but they posted an Ashii and Shibata match from 10 years at the G1. And oh. Ashii wrestled, like you said, the exact same match in a lot of ways. But they went a lot faster and a lot harder because – Obviously, it's Shibata and Ashii, but the same beats, man. You can see the same things in, in that match from 10 years ago. And keep in mind, not a criticism. I mean, the guy does it so well that you don't mind that there are some elements that are in every one. You know, it's, it's, it's just what you want out of an Ishii match. It's terrific. It's not a criticism. And we had Hiroki Goto and Jeff Cobb up next. Now, Cobb, another guy that has uh, happened to him before, where he gets off to a fiery start in the G1 long streak to start off with. And then the rigors of the G1 start to wear him down and he falls victim to a couple of things. Of course, he was up to the uh, tricks and chicanery of Toro Yano. This time he's up against the power of Hiroki Goto. Cobb comes in, comes in at eight points and just had his uh, only loss of the tournament. Goto on four points. So again, with the pattern we're talking about here, if you have uh, fewer points, you're in pretty good shape. This was pretty good. Ribs were the story again here, but Goto, feeling his Wheaties a little bit, hit a destroyer and a good-looking one, uh, followed by a GTR to win this thing. Uh, a lot of fun, good match, uh, more of Cobb being pulled back to the back. I do like that the story is that he had to wear down Cobb in order to get to a point where he could beat Cobb because the beginning of this match, Cobb was confident and you know almost overconfident, could have pinned Goto a couple of times, uh, was feeling himself a little bit, and then he paid for it at the end, and he lost the match. Told the correct story, though, didn't it? Because it keeps mm -hmm. that uh, that block uh, nice and muddled. Eddie Kingston and Tamatanga. Now, these two were already involved in the whole thing. So I was very curious to see which direction they were going to go in this match because neither one of them were going to be eliminated no matter what happened here. So who did they want in a better position going into the last day? I was curious about this one. Both baby faces that the, the crowd is taking to here. Eddie is... Of course, this is a dream scenario for Eddie Kingston being part of a G1 and doing all these matches and touring Japan with a major organization. So everything's gravy for Eddie, right? But I, I tell you what, he's really doing well and getting over with his selling works for Japan, doesn't it? I mean, they, mm -hmm. they love a guy who just sells and perseveres. That's a wonderful trope of Japanese wrestling is like taking that ass whooping and you just keep getting up. They love a guy who will do that for him. And uh, Eddie fits into that perfectly. This match was worked at a very fast pace. They only went 11 minutes and 39 seconds. Uh, fast pace, hard hitting, exactly what you would expect from these two. Tamatanga with a gun stun that was reversed into a back fist. Looked terrific. And then uh, Northern Lights bomb for a very decisive win for Eddie. Good match. Keeps things properly uh, muddled, like I mentioned right here. Again, another match to make sure that everybody's involved or as many people as possible going into the last block match. Eddie Kingston in a winner go home scenario at the last night of the G1 is a very interesting story to tell. 
We're going to get it right there. There's a lot of people that are uh, the, a lot, a lot of, people of people are going to win or go home. <laughs> yeah. All of them. As a matter of fact, now that I think about it, all of them are either going to win or they're going pretty to much a couple of people are going to do both. You know, some of the people that are already mathematically eliminated are going to spoil some things. But. The next two are our mathematical supposition that you could make to figure out who was going to win these ahead of time. Yeah, agreed. And, and this one was one where uh, Tetsuya Naito came into this one on uh, six points. And if he had lost this one, he would have been out of it on the last day. Mm, I doubt it. And especially because Zack Sabre Jr. would not have been eliminated. So not much doubt as to what, how this one was going to end. But it was a lot of fun seeing how they got there. This was really good. Zack worked the arm a lot on uh, Naito. Uh, and it was a pretty even match for most of it. Uh, it was not a thing where one guy was selling, 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 selling. Uh, they had ways of getting moves in on one another to keep it fairly even. Uh, even though there was a lot of arm work in there. Uh, Zach kicked out of a Destino, and uh, a lot of Naito chance here. Again, Hiroshima is in the tank for LIJ. Zach got a really cool-looking submission out of Esperanza. Uh, I, I'm not sure what it's called. I'm not sure all of his submission moves have uh, names. Just <laughs> They are things work. that Zach Saber does. <laughs> he just turns people into a pretzel. It was a Zach Saber submission, and uh, really good near falls in this one. Uh, Destino eventually came out of the Zack driver. He attempted a Zack driver. And, uh, of course that's a perilous spot with the uh, Naito when you have him over your uh, shoulder, like a, a sack of uh, flour or a sack of flour or a sack of salt or whatever it is. Uh, you know, he, he's in that spot where he can kind of swing around and hit that Destino. And he did, uh, he tried it again, but then Zack hit the Zack driver. And that was at the 17 minute mark. Eventually, there was an inside cradle off of a swinging DDT, which was a clever finish, and Naito ended up picking up the victory and keeping himself in the mix for that block win. This was an interesting match because if you remember last year, I think they had two or three matches where they were trading wins and they were feuding with each other and they were getting flash pins and sneaking pins off of each other. I think one of them actually only went a couple of minutes with uh, one of them getting a pin off of each other. That's this true. had elements of all of that in there, including mm -hmm. the finish, where, again, Naito didn't hit a Destino. He he got a flash pin, kind of the the swinging DDT into the inside cradle is not a typical finish, but it was what he needed to do to sneak one over on Saber Jr. Interesting story. These two are, are, are G1 rivals, and I, I love to see it when they get together. Saber sold it really well too. After the finish, he was walking around ringside like he was just like, I can't believe he did that to me. I can't I believe he got me did. with that. And just like son of a gun, that little bastard. You know, like it, it was it was a look like I he really outfoxed me, and I don't get outfoxed. You know, that was the look on Zach's got face. Got me again. Played, <laughs> played it very well. Main event was Shingo Takagi and David Finlay. Again, we kind of knew which direction this was going to go because had Finlay won. Uh, it would have ended a lot of things uh, and eliminated a lot of guys. Can't be having that. But Shingo coming in uh, at a surprise five points on the way into this match, Finlay with eight. Uh, another uh, strategic loss does one other thing uh, that we're going to get to after we talk about the match. Uh, Finlay ended up powerbombing Shingo through a table on the floor. There was a gorgeous-looking superplex by Shingo Takagi. Boy, they both combined to do that one very, very well. Crowd really wanted Shingo to win this one. It felt a little bit like a, an Ishii match, the way it was worked. You know, a lot of chop exchanges and blow exchanges and hard hitting. Finlay ended up hitting a spear and a power bomb at the 17-minute mark. Then he hit a second power bomb. You know, shades of the Tamatanga beat down from uh, Dominion. But Shingo managed to escape an oblivion attempt. 
and he rallied and ended up hitting last of the dragon to win. So that does a couple of things. Keeps a lot of people alive in the block, and it gives David Finlay a very good challenger for that never open weight title going forward. Shingo said he was moving away from the king of pro wrestling. The other person that's beaten Finlay in block play is Tama Tonga. So we've seen that a little bit with the never open weight title. Mm -hmm. So now there's always the possibility of Tama Tonga going after him again. Like and now that. we have Shingo as a good never open weight contender. I'm, I'm in favor of all this stuff. I think never open weight title is a great place for Shingo Takagi on this card, or at least chasing it. Doesn't necessarily have to win it right there. But again, this was all a matter of keeping things in play. Shingo's got a number of finishers that, or a number of moves that I, I, I fall for as finishers. The pumping bomber, the made in Japan, the last of the dragon is his actual finisher. But when he hits those other ones, sometimes they're just so dynamic and fast and brutal that I'm just like, I fall for the, 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 the count, the, the, every time, every time mm -hmm. I fall for it. I think he's going to win with the match. And he does it. Uh, I have my theories about how this is all going to play out with Shingo and Finley and all that. But frankly speaking, Shingo is like Ishii. He's like Flair. If you start watching his matches really carefully, they are as formulaic and as exciting as the other two. Uh, they they have a beat to them. And he he has a certain cadence about everything. Even the, uh, the stack, stack, stack. When he gets around and he like points to the crowd on his hands and knees and fires it up, it's like there's a point where he hits that in every match. Yeah, that that Scott thing is uh, he's yelling, "It's time!" is what yeah. he says when he does that. Except it never is. It's never the finish. No. Sure but it's just it's the point of the match where it's like it's a point. It's a signature move that he does in every match. And it's it's, his, ver like it's his version of the Rainmaker pose that Okada does at yes. one point. It's not necessarily the setup to the finish. It's just something that's in each one. Yeah. All right, so let's go over some block standings here. So we've gone over all the matches. Now, go, now uh, we're changing the format of the G1 a little bit. Now we're having four shows left in block play. Each block gets its own night. So there's no longer A and B all block matches. Now we're going to see some tags underneath and then the four block matches for a and then we're going to do the same thing for b and so we have four shows to go instead of just two even though you know the, the we're coming down to the end here so important note a block we have sonata on 12 and he's through that's it uh so the only question is is he going to go undefeated in block play he has chase owens on the fifth what do you got show yes or no oh yeah yeah, I think he's. I, I think he goes through. I think he's gonna. I think he scores all fourteen. I think yeah, one of the big 14, buddy. One of the points of this G one is try to establish him as a legit champion that is on the level of the other top guys. He's not. So losing but, on the but, last night of regular play kind of undercuts that. I would, I would say. Especially with Chase Owens, what are you gonna do? Give Chase Owens yeah. a world title shot? Fair enough. Okay, so uh, that leads one more guy into this. Uh, who could it be, Stephen? We have. A bunch of people here. Hikaleo, Kato Kiyomiya, and Shota Umino are all on six points. Still in the running are Gabriel Kidd and Yoda Suji with five. The only people that are really out of this thing for that second spot is uh, Renarita, Chase Owens, and four uh, that are just effectively out of it. Here are the key matches. Sonata will face Chase, like we mentioned. Renarita will face Kaido Kiyomiya. So that is uh, uh, somebody who could play the spoiler role there. And then Shota Umino and Hikuleo will wrestle each other. How do you see this playing out, Jeremy? 
now that I'm actually looking at it, I don't know. Uh, I think Kaido Kiyomiya is going to advance. Like that's, that's where I'm going with this. But in order for that to happen, Umino and Hikaleo kind of have to draw, don't they? Yeah, I think so. Which could happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they're not going to, I don't see them doing playoff, but this is the bracket to do the playoff. Um, I don't see Yoda Suji winning with seven points, even if he were to make it. I don't see Ren Narita beating Kaido Kiyomiya, um, although it's possible. It just maybe Yoda Suji makes it with seven. It's yeah, entirely I think, possible. I mean, I think Suji can beat Kid and he can get to seven. The issue is a winner in. Shota Umino or Hikuleo gets them to eight. If Kiyomiya beats Narita, he gets to eight. Looking at the position on the card, if Kiyomiya gets to eight, hmm. see, here's the issue with that. If if Kiyomiya gets to eight, he's second from the top. It looks like, well, Sonata and Chase. No. Okay, okay, okay. So it's going to go third from the top is Umino and Hikuleo. Someone, I think, is going to win that and get to eight. Then Kiyomiya, oh, that's going to be Shota, 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 isn't it? It's, okay, all right, I'm playing it out in my head. So say Shota beats Hikaleo and gets to eight. Now Kiyomiya has to win and get to eight points over Ren Narita, and then he would get the tiebreaker over Umino. Didn't they, didn't they draw? Oh, Shota and Kiyomiya drew. Didn't they? I, think, I think there's either a double countout Ooh. or a double disqualification. In the mm. Hikaleo Shota Umino match. Oh, ghetto, um, you cheeky little too, bastard. It's too messy otherwise. Interesting. Okay. Well, we'll see how that one turns out. Block B. That, by the way, Saturday in Osaka is when the A block finishes up. Uh, the Sunday, also in Osaka, will be the uh, B block. So they're running two nights there in uh, Osaka, which, which works. It's the second biggest town there and uh, always has an enthusiastic crowd. Okada. On top of the B block with 10 points. After him, here's where the muddle comes in. Osprey is on eight and has the tiebreaker. Phantasmo, Taichi, Tangaloa with six. So there you have it. Uh, now, again, uh, totally eliminator. Now, Kenta, Great Okan, and Yoshihashi, they can only get to six. Osprey already has eight. Okada has 10. So the only people that are still in it are uh, six points and up. Here are the key matches. Taichi. Facing the great Okan. So he has to kind of defend his uh, spot there over uh, a potential spoiler. ELP, El Fantasmo, and Will Ospreay will wrestle each other. I'll bet that's going to be a good match. And then Okada has Tongaloa. How do you see this one playing out? Well, since Tongaloa has the tiebreaker over Osprey, Osprey has to get at least one more point to advance if Tangaloa beats Okada. Which isn't completely out of the question, but I would assume that Okada gets 12 points and Will Ospreay gets 10, and the rest of the bracket kind of sees itself sees itself out the door. Yeah. Um, that's that's a bit cleaner than the one the night before, and I feel like they're not going to get too messy and in the weed back to back to back because we got four nights of people trying to keep track of this stuff. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I We've said from the beginning that we thought that Okada and Osprey were certainly the class of this field with Taichi in the mix. I think that's the way it's going to end up. And I think El Fantasmo will uh, 
you know, because you know, again, the pressure will be on Osprey because I think Taichi's going to win his match and he has the tiebreaker over Osprey. So Osprey has to win that type of thing. I think that'll be the drama uh, rather than uh, who's really going to, you know, upend Okada or anything like that. And I think we're going to end up with Okada and Osprey. They're, they're the two best, they're the two biggest draws. That's who should go on. It makes the, the most sense. You don't, you don't not put those two in post bracket play. I just, yeah. If they do, great. It's cool. We look like idiots, but do we really look like idiots <laughs> for not assuming Will Ospreay and Okada would be the ones going out of this bracket? I don't know. You decide. Block C will be Tuesday in Yokohama. So heading back toward uh, Tokyo there uh, for a day. David Finlay and Evil and Eddie Kingston all on top of that with eight points. Tamatanga, Shingo Takagi. Uh, with seven and so there you go mikey nichols and ra they can only get to six and uh, ishii already eliminated there so uh like i said our, our right mess uh, out there so here are the key matches we will have eddie kingston and david finlay hmm. uh a lot, lot can happen there shingo takagi against evil so that's uh two more i think those are the right only two there. that matter and then, yeah, uh, I mean, Tamatanga is still mathematically in it. He's in there with Hanare. So, you know, that's that that would be that could be the upset special to take Tamatanga out of this to, to have it boil down to the last matches. I have continued to remember that Shingo Takagi is a former IWGP world champion and Tamatanga yeah. is a former never open weight champion. And I'm going to use that as the cudgel of one over the other. So here's how I think it plays out. I think Shingo Takagi beats evil to get to nine before the main event. So Eddie Kingston, and David Finley will both have eight because mm -hmm. of the tiebreakers. It is win or go home. David Finley beats Eddie Kingston because that plays into all the bullet club Yep. shenanigans that Eddie Kingston have gotten the upper hand on. David Finley finally put Eddie Kingston in his place and sends him packing and moves on to win the bracket. I agree with you there. I think that's how it's going to turn out also. And then block D we have. Uh, that, that one will take place Wednesday in Shizuoka, so oh, a week from today. Uh, when we record this, as we record this, you'll probably be hearing it later. But uh, yeah, this one has Jeff Cobb, Tetsuya Naito, and Zack Sabre Jr. on top. And I believe that is uh, Cobb has the uh, tiebreakers on each of them. So there you have it. That's a little bit of information. Uh, Tanahashi and Goto are still technically in it on uh, six points uh, just behind. And then you have uh, eliminated uh, Shane Haste, Alex Coughlin, Toriano, who uh, cannot uh, reach eight. And we have three guys with eight, so they're out of it. And uh, the key match is here. Zack Sabre, he'll be facing Goto. And then you will have uh, Jeff Naito Cobb and Shane, Shane Haste and Naito versus Tanahashi. Yeah, I am still leaning toward Naito and Sabre getting out of this with Haste making the big upset on Cobb. I don't think it's an upset. It. I think it's a draw. Okay, that could be two. That could be two. Because I think, that, I think we just Jeff, need to I keep think him the, from getting two. I think the story is Jeff Cobb panics and he can't get the pin on Shane Haste and we are getting to the 20-minute mark and he realizes that if G1 will flip out of his hands if he can't do this and he has two other people that could potentially – knock him out but him losing like take the power out of his own camp actively and it needs to be a passive removal of him from the tournament like 
it needs to be like slipped out of his fingers. That is the story. And he gets closer and closer every year. Because the same thing happened last year and he lost. But if he loses on a draw or he doesn't get in on a draw, that that makes the story of him getting closer and closer and closer to the G1 much, much better narratively. So with that in mind, that would give uh, Naito and Zack Sabre a chance to win their matches, get to 10 points and move on. In that case, Naito would win the block with the tiebreaker from the match we just talked about. Oh, wow. I forgot about that. Yeah. So there you have it. And that's what we're looking at there. Uh, Let's see. We have some other news. So the All-Star Junior Festival, news and notes here as we get toward the end. All-Star Junior Festival here in the U.S., that's the 2300 Arena in Philadelphia. And that's August, uh, what is that, August 12th? 12th, right? 13th? Uh, 19th. 19th. No, oh, yes. Okay, excuse me. The 12th and the 13th. That's the G1 finals the weekend. Final. So the following week, All-Star Junior Festival in the United States. We had some more announcements as uh, for participants. We uh, we now know that Soberano Jr. from CMLL will be joining us. Of course, he's been part of Fantastica Mania several times. Matt Seidel. Terrific. Uh, terrific. Uh, mostly tag team wrestler right there. And uh, considering how many people are on this car, Jeremy, uh, I think there are going to be a lot of tags. <laughs> and so, uh, but we do know one singles match. Kevin Knight will be facing Clark Connors in a match there. We'll also be seeing Rich Swan, Ace Austin, and TJP. Those are new names that have been announced for the show this past week. Coming at you fast. And then, of course, Hiromu Takahashi has already been announced. Here's the, this, the list of who everyone's going to be there. Uh, Hiromu, Master Wado, Rocky Romero, Nick Wayne, El Desperado, Shun Skywalker, Mike Bailey, Doki, Dragon Kid, Kanemaru, Robbie Eagles, Jordan Oliver, Mao, Yo, and there you have it. So the, the only match that we know of so far is uh, Clark and uh, Clark Connors against uh, Kevin Knight. Hmm. I am somewhat interested in this show. It is kind of like a little bit of cold roast beef after the prime rib of the G1. And (laughs) I'm looking forward to more main event matches being introduced to this. But there is another show that same weekend that seems to be IWGP adjacent. So it appears that Julia is coming to Multiverse United 2. And now it seems like we have uh, someone calling out IWGP stardom talent over in Multiverse United 2. So yeah. we got... Yeah, Go so the match hasn't been officially announced yet, but every indication on Earth is leaning toward Julia defending her I, or NJPW Strong Women's Championship against Diana Parazzo. That's how it looks like it's going, right? The, 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 all yeah. indications point that way. Yeah, just taking a little time to get to the destination, but it seems like those are that's an interesting match on the horizon. And the fact that they're making that match kind of makes me think that maybe Mercedes Monet will be uh, showing up somewhere sooner rather than later to challenge for that title because that is that's the bigger picture story right there. Well, certainly it is. And Julia and Mercedes Monet is the the match going forward that they really want to get to. Unfortunately, we just don't have a lot of information on Mercedes' condition. Just how is she? Not a lot of information on that as to how long she's going to be out. So, uh, you know, and obviously that's all being done for dramatic effect because I have a feeling that she wants to surprise us when she does come back for the most part. Uh, Haven't been a lot of hints, you know, for somebody who actually is fairly active on social media. She's been pretty mum on this. Yeah, she's been pretty quiet. So any other news, any other info to report? No, I mean, I think uh, we've got all of that. You know, there's something, though, and I'm trying to think of what it is. There was a a contest that's been going on about (laughs) G1 picks. And 
for the life of me, I can't remember who's leading it, Jeremy. Who's winning that contest? Uh, well, son of so a bitch, post it's you. wrestling. Uh, okay, so there's a story here. Kevin Ely from the Boom on our <laughs> Discord says, "Oh, hey, there's a wrestling contest for the post to predict the G1." I had done a couple of these in a, in a few years since Chris Samsa uh, was doing it for himself, but I decided a couple hours before, I'm like, maybe not the most sober, not not exactly like planning on doing anything publicly or anything. Just at home. I decided to fill out this bracket, and I forget about it completely. I just completely forget about it. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Just da-da-da. Kevin Ely on the Discord points out on week three that I am in the lead of the listener <laughs> contest standings for the post-wrestling. and then Or day three, I'm sorry. It is now day 12. I have never lost the lead in this post-wrestling standings. People were mathematically eliminated at this point from catching me in this thing. I have outscored most of the post wrestling staff covering the G1 and everything. And well, you've outscored, you've outscored all of them. You're the only person. I, I may have. I just, I don't want to say for sure. I just feel pretty good about it, but this was all conversation. Every pick was found here. Like we had these conversations, Conway and myself about who would win, why we would do it, why they would go this way. The eight finalists that would make it from the post bracket play, why we thought Sonata would run the table and have the uh, the most amount of wins, why we thought C-Bracket was going to be the best matches of all the New Japan. All of it was found here. So if you ever want to know what we think and why we got to the mentality that we did, come follow us on Speaking of Strong Style, which we are proud to say is actually coming back to YouTube more yes. permanently. Starting next week, we will have full episodes on YouTube for Speak of Strong Style. We will be live. We will no longer be on an audio feed for the Fight Game Media Network, but we are still associated with the Fight Fight Game Media Network. We are just going to move to YouTube with an undetermined time and place that will be similar to when we last broadcast, but perhaps not the same day. Further details will be following. We should have it planned out when we do our live show in two weeks for the conclusion of the G1, which will be a Patreon special for Fight Game Media Network. And yeah, just follow the Fight Game Media on the YouTube channel. Follow Fight Game Media on their Patreon. And those are the two places where you will get all of our content and everything that you need to know, including where us, Stephen Conway and Jeremy Firestone, will be on Speaking of Strong Style, talking all the news, info, and other things that you need to know about New Japan Pro Wrestling. And I was lucky enough to have been on the Five Star Joshi Show last week, uh, talking to Scott Edwards about uh, night one of the Five Star Grand Prix and what we liked about it, which was everything. It was a fantastic, brilliant show. And I got a chance to be a part of that and check that out as well. And, uh, you know, that it's, uh, it's just a whole thing, Jeremy, that we're excited about being back on YouTube. We do enjoy it and looking forward to being back live and getting that interaction. For those of you who still want to consume Speaking of Strong Style as a podcast, there'll be a way to do that going forward. Uh, that That's not uh, going away totally. It's just going to be in a different format. And so we're going to keep doing this show, keep it about 90 minutes, keep uh, covering all of the news about 
New Japan Pro Wrestling, and uh, we'll, it'll just be in a little bit of a different form and in one way as far as the podcast goes. And then, uh, once again, live on, on YouTube. And I miss the interactions. I miss talking to the guys that watch us and things. So I hope Us Marty Pants aren't going anywhere. That's right. We're, we're, we're still here and uh, still doing this show. We both enjoy the hell out of it. So uh, And, and, and course, we're apparently kind of good at it. <laughs> so, yeah and, and fair enough i didn't realize post wrestling that like that was the listener poll and that the guys on post wrestling were, were had their own thing going so i they guess do and they are far behind as well but I are they really light. oh yeah oh, they goodness. are they're trailing they're a they're a thing in here where one of the guys i'm not going to name him uh put up a donut today in terms of like did not get a single match right on the pick. so well we pay attention yeah. it's yeah i mean it, it, look We've both been doing this a minute. Uh, you know, I, we've been watching New Japan for a long time. We've been analyzing New Japan for a long time. And we have a bit of a bead on what Ghetto has in mind. And not that we're perfect. No one's perfect on it. But I feel like we have a good understanding of what he's trying to accomplish, how he's trying to accomplish it. And uh, one of the things we really enjoy is coming here on this show each and every week and explaining why we think things are going to happen. And when things do happen breaking down what story he's trying to tell new japan is more intricate than most when it comes to its storytelling which is why we love it and so uh, this is our chance to come on here and really break down the whys the hows and uh get a good feel for uh this type of storytelling and pro wrestling that we love so much so it's our privilege and and we're, we're looking forward to doing more of it we can be zany we can be funny we can be kind of stupid but what we also are very good at is separating the news and the noise of what's worth talking about with New Japan Pro Wrestling. And uh, that's what we're here to do. All right. So with that, I think it's about time we wrap this one up for the week. So Call we will night. be back. We'll be back next week. And we're going to have the format, the four shows that finish up all the blocks. And then after that, we will have a complete preview of the quarterfinals so we'll be able to break down the whole bracket and talk about uh what we think is going to go on as the final eight head toward the g1 finals back at sumo hall where they belong rio goku kakuji khan so jeremy for everybody at home run over one more time where they can find you you can find us at fight game media network the youtube channel the fight game media patreon you can find me at jer Finestone on twitter and if you are eric from cork on the post prediction <laughs> contest. I wish you luck, but I think I'm going to win. And I am at Stephen Conway 88 on uh, Twitter or X or whatever they call that doofus site again. Anyway, but I'm here with the fight game media network. We will see you next week right here on speaking of strong style. We look forward to talking to you again real soon.